It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by my co-host, guess what, Kira's back. Hey, good to be Kira back. Kira Rundle. <laughs> Now, people often ask about the true value of carbon offsetting and the prices that they pay for offsetting carbon intensive activities. So today we're going to, well, the next two episodes are going to be spent on exploring this. Today we'll hear about the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund, CNCF, which is an Australian non-for-profit organisation that specialises in raising funds to plant trees in order to restore degraded land back to its natural state. Aside from habitat restoration, the fund aims to offset carbon emissions by individuals, families and organisations that are seeking to minimise their environmental impact, hence the name Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund. We're joined today by Ray Wilson, the CEO of the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund. Hi Ray, thanks for joining us. Hello Kay. Good to have you on air and I'm glad to see you're up bright and early in WA. Yes, it's it's, a pleasure to be on your show, thank you. So Ray, you actually have two hats. One is your role with the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund and the other one's with the commercial business Carbon Neutral. Today we're going to talk about the Charitable Fund. So can you tell us about it, its mission and its aims? Yeah, similar missions. Um, it, the Charitable Fund started way back in 2001. It was formed by Men of the Trees. They, they're now called <laughs> Trillion Trees. They saw the then emerging carbon market as a way of them doing more land restoration and so formed a carbon neutral program that kicked along for a few years and then when Al Gore at his inconvenient truths, that's when things really hotted up and the demand for uh, the work that the fund does it, uh, really ramped up So such that they formed a separate uh, organisation in 2007 and... Um, it's been going strongly ever since, but I, in the last six months or so, things really have, uh, the demand, the inquiry level has really uh, shot up. Oh, that's really good to know. Do you know if there was a specific event that triggered that six months ago? Yeah, we. It, um, it's gone up by a factor of five probably since January, oh. and it's, it's a lot to do with people realising that climate change is real, and it's now um, lack of the lack of government uh, climate change policy. Well, that's um, not just recent. No. And people just want to, they, they tell us they just want to do something. What can they do to, uh, to minimise their footprint, uh, both um, in terms of emissions, but also water efficiency now as well. So one of the things that the Charitable Fund offers is that Visitors to the website can 
buy carbon offsets or carbon credits. Can you just go a little bit more into what that is exactly? What is a carbon offset? In, in our uh, daily lives, we all generate uh, emissions through our daily activities, through the things we purchase. But for, the, for individuals and households, the, the main items would be the electricity we use, um, the flights we take, the cars we drive are all generating carbon emissions or greenhouse gas emissions. And so people are keen to look at ways of reducing their emissions and then going a step further. And for every tonne of emissions they create, they want to neutralise that or cancel out the unavoidable emissions. And they can do that by buying a carbon offset, which essentially is one tonne of, of carbon dioxide. So a, tip, a car, for example, a typical car would generate over the course of a year about three or four tonnes of carbon, of greenhouse gas, gas emissions or carbon dioxide. And uh, so people would buy four or five, or three, four or five tonnes of carbon offsets to, to neutralise that. So it becomes a net zero carbon footprint in terms of their vehicle, or they can also offset their purchased electricity or their flights. Or so, food purchases. So there's there's various carbon calculators available online that people can use to measure their footprint. Yeah, and we'll go through the options that you do offer uh, later later on in the show. But how do you actually measure how much carbon is offset? You're you're planting trees, so does the value depend on the type of tree or its growing conditions, the carbon storage rate over the years? How does that work? Yes, as we know, trees absorb CO2 from the atmosphere and store that, and that carbon is stored in their stems and, and roots and leaves. And uh, so we, there's two ways of measuring that. We do on-ground measurements, so we um, measure the biomass and using the scientifically-based allometric equations work out that uh, in a plantation, different trees have different biomass. We work out the, we estimate the carbon stored in the in the trees, and of course, over time, that increases as the trees grow. So, in the in the early years, in the first two or three years, that might only be one or two tons of carbon dioxide equivalents per per hectare. And over in, depending on the landscape, that over twenty five or thirty years could be between a hundred and three hundred tons of of CO two or, or carbon offsets has been uh, stored in, in that in that plantation. So that's over one hectare, over the lifetime of the tree, around 100 tonnes? Yes, so over, the, over 25. Most of the car- most in a, in a typical Australian planting, most of the carbon stored in that first 20, 25 or 30 years. By then, the trees are mature, getting towards mature. Does and, it depend um, on the type of tree? The, sorry? Does it depend on the type of tree? Yes, the bigger the bigger trees, of course, the the Australian eucalypts uh, generate or create most of the carbon in, in a plantation. But we do biodiverse planting, so we mm. try and replicate what was in the in the landscape before it was cleared, and so that includes the a lot of the understory and the midstory trees as well. Even though most of the carbon is in the, the larger trees, and they might only be two or three, well, one or two or three hundred of the larger trees per hectare. Yet our plantings uh, typically are a thousand to fifteen hundred trees and shrubs per hectare. 
because it's it's not just about carbon, it's mm. about land restoration as well. And yeah. the, the second method for measuring uh, carbon in a plantation is the, is the government's modelling. It's called the full cam, and that uh, that's uh, been built over many years to project uh, plantings based on GPS coordinates, uh, soil type data, and type of planting. So you actually have to measure the soil conditions as well. Uh, the soil type is is uh, rainfall and soil type are critical mm, factors. Just in, general area, then in, okay, yeah. Yeah, in uh, in how much the type of trees that grow and and how much um, biomass is in the in the planting. So, if you're dealing with different environments, does that mean that you guys have projects all over Australia? Uh, we, most of our plantings are in Western Australia. We have done quite a few in South Australia, and uh, we have done some trial plantings in New South Wales and Victoria some years ago, and looking at. Um, because a lot of our the donors, the people that support mm. our projects, are based on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. looking at doing a project in Melbourne next year, or just out of Melbourne next year. Oh, that's great. So it might be a silly question, but they, they're they just new plantings, aren't they? You can't take existing uh, wooded areas and claim them for carbon offsets. That's correct. It needs to be a new planting. In um, There is, a under the government scheme, there is a an avoided deforestation method, which uh, not everyone agrees with, because if you if you have a, a, a permit to clear your land, you can essentially hand that permit in and claim a carbon credit by not clearing the land. Oh my goodness! Which is mm. a bit of a uh, so not everyone agrees that that's a mm-hmm. a, uh, a realistic way of generating a carbon credit. But nevertheless, <laughs> that that uh, method is available. But no, for our for our projects. It has to be a new planting. So can you talk a little bit about um, how carbon sequestration with trees works? So how are trees, I mean, this is maybe getting a little bit more into the biology, but um, how much like carbon does one tree absorb and, and how does that work exactly? Um, it's essentially the, 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 the drop, we, we measure, we have done, on a small scale, some destructive sampling to measure the the actual carbon in a in a tree in the roots, and so that data is fed into the into the um, our modelling to to help us estimate the projected carbon on a site not through the uh, growth yields, but from time to time we actually go into the planting and measure with calipers the the stem diameter at about 10 centimetres above the ground, that's a very good indication of how much carbon is in that, in, is in that tr- particular tree. So we do random sampling, and there's a very strong correlation between, uh, for the larger trees, uh, the stem diameter, and for the, for the shrubs, it's, it's canopy cover. So we spend quite a bit of time with on-ground measurements, and that's um, how we then determine the carbon, in the, in the planting and, and the carbon offsets. And, of course, all these measurements, are, we get them independently verified or, um, in some cases, that they will be audited. And what happens if the trees are cut down? They, do, or do you just have... You, you have their, to leave them there, plantings are on... Uh, in some cases, we have purchased land. But in most cases, they're on farmland, uh, owned by commercial farmers or lifestylers, peri-urban lifestylers. And we require them to sign a 
carbon, a, coven, a covenant, which uh, means that then that goes, it's an encumbrance on the title. So whoever owns that land for the next 100 years can't damage or remove those trees. So that's a, uh, a requirement we have to protect the trees that um, the subsequent landowners can't uh, remove or damage them. Very, very, obviously a very important aspect for our donors to know that the money that they provide me, money that's trees, um, won't, won't be uh, cut down at some point in time. So what about unforeseeable natural disasters like fire, for example? Has that occurred since um, the organization's uh, been in existence or do you guys have a plan in place for what you would do if part of your um, planted lands were exposed to such a natural disaster? Yes, that's the question everyone asks about <laughs> fire. And we've, we've, we've um, done over 160 plantings over the years uh, across um, many environments. And we've had two of those 160, there's been fires, one in South Australia and one in Western Australia a few years ago. And they were, they were pretty hot fires and the the photos that were taken were pretty, pretty frightening. But um, within two years, they had natural regeneration had occurred mm. and, the, and the larger trees were reshooting so it, it almost looked like a healthier <laughs> planting so we, we thought they'd be written off and we'd have to replant but we didn't we didn't have to but if there is a fire we, we, we will replant and given that we've got very um, strong geographical diversification we've got plantings all over all over the state the agricultural areas that's a natural insurance for us Um and we, of course, have to abide by normal fire protection rules with fire breaks, and um, we we um, make sure the landowners do the fire breaks each year. So we're, we're, we're so pleased that after fire events, we, we, we didn't lose the, the planting. Well, that's the beauty of the native Australian plants, I guess, that they're supposed to be somewhat resistant to that kind of thing. Yeah, obviously, proven it's, they're quite resilient. What's the um, typical planting size, the planting uh, lots that you do? Uh, typically, um, farmers give us land that's not productive, that's uh, maybe in, in some parts at risk of going salty, so we plant salt-tolerant species. So that it could be 30 or 40 hectares. We've, uh, on some of the land we've purchased, we've done 160 hectares. But this year is our biggest planting, and that's on that's a 750-hectare site on Uradi Reserve, which is land owned by Bush Heritage, um, north of Geraldton. And uh, they've chosen us to be their partner in doing the restoration. So they own the land, we do the planting and, and retain the carbon credits. And uh, we, we'll be doing 200 hectares this uh, next winter, so that'll be our largest project and that's it's a very typical uh project in and it's abandoned farmland so they bought a, a large pastoral lease 30,000 hectares of bush but it had some cleared land on it that was no longer farmed so it's unfortunately with the climate change we're going to see more abandoned farmland where it's uh, the climate the rainfall was just um too low or the soil's too badly degraded so in western australia for example we estimate there's about 2 million hectares of, of uh, unproductive, partly degraded farmland that could be restored without having any negative impact on farm production. Wow, that's a great opportunity for you. And if you've uh, just uh, tuned in, we're talking to Ray Wilson from the Carbon Neutral Charity Fund. I was just going to ask, um, 
The native Australian plants are able to tolerate these degraded conditions better than monoculture or whatever the land was being used for in the farming industry before? Yes, we, um, it, it's what we call a biodiverse planting. So we, we uh, try and replicate what was in the, in the habitat before the land was cleared. So in some of our sites, that's, that's uh, one of our sites in the great southern Western Australia, we ended up through strong support with the landowners planting over 300 species of, of trees and shrubs. So um, it uh, covers a wide spectrum of, um, of trees and mid-storey, upper-storey and shrubs. And so that's, um, yeah, that's a pretty strong, pretty five-star ecosystem restoration, mm-hmm. that particular project. So, Ray, let's get on to your actual website. And you've got action that people can take, such as donating, offsetting, um, shopping e-gifts and bequeathing. So it caters for all sorts of different opportunities for people. But it, 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 one of the favourite features of the website is that visitors can actually calculate their annual carbon emissions and account for things like, as you say, it said before, the type of car that they drive, their electricity consumption, the waste and so forth. So can we dive a little bit deeper into this calculator, which is called My Carbon Calculator, and um, just go through some of the options? So you mentioned about uh, driving a petrol car for a year, and on the, on your website you have the option of selecting what type of car it is. And I think you said, was it four tonnes a year that a car generally emits? Yes, just going back a step, we, we um, developed the first online carbon calculator in Australia, and possibly the world, back in early mm. 2000. So oh. we're very proud of that. And so mm. each year we update it with the, the new factors. Um, but most people have, understandably, wouldn't have any conception about their carbon footprint. If, if I was to say it's a 1,000 tonne a year, they'd say, oh, really? But um, it, I, you, could, you can just imagine something's hard to, uh, to grasp. So that I'd encourage people to spend some time on our carbon calculator or other carbon calculators just to punch in the data on how much electricity they use in a year, their vehicles, their flights, and just get a feel for, for what their footprint is. And a typical car is four tonne. The average car doing the average 15,000 kilometres a year is, is around three and a half, four tonne of carbon dioxide emissions a year. Uh, the bigger car, if you drive a large four-wheel drive, Diesel, that might be six to seven ton per year. Uh, flights, for example, um, a typical flight, Perth to, say, Sydney, flying economy will be about around one ton. But if you go Sydney to London and back, uh, business class, that might mm. be 17 tonnes. Wow. That particular trip for you would will emit 17 tonnes of emissions. I thought actually on your website it said that if you fly, do one long-haul flight, it's the equivalent of living for a year in a small household. Is that correct? Yeah, the the average um, household emissions in Australia, which is one of the highest in the world, we have one of the highest per capita levels of emissions in the world, is is around 17 tonnes for the average person and... um, that, that includes vehicles and, and flights, but for the average household, it's around seven tonne of greenhouse gas emissions. Do you know why that is? Why is Australia per capita one of the highest emitting countries? We're, um, I think our environment, uh, the biggest factors in, in a typical household, 
is the heating and cooling, and uh, typically in the summertime, uh, air conditioning thermostat should be set around 25, 27 degrees, but for many homes you walk in and they're around 20, 22, so they're really burning a lot more electricity than, than they need to. Uh, surprisingly, uh, a lot of the government homes aren't insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, hot water temperatures uh, are set maybe 70 degrees, and they should be around 60 for storage. So we're pretty inefficient in uh, in our household use of electricity. Pleased to say, we get more. There are now more energy efficient appliances available, so that's um, that's helped. And certainly, rooftop solar is having mm-hmm. an impact. But nevertheless. Um, we are, uh, our lifestyle is, uh, and our high meat, uh, high levels of meat in our diet also has an impact. So our, our way of living is um, up there with uh, more than higher than the USA, and I think uh, the United Arab Emirates is. Uh, We're higher in us. terms of meat consumption, are we? In the uh, relatively, yeah, compared and, to the and USA, of course, as, yeah, and and meat consumption is um, obviously. Uh, is uh, a production system that generates fairly high emissions. What about if we ate kangaroo instead? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, that <laughs> would uh, <laughs> that would um, because uh, cattle and sheep uh, through their birthing um, that's where the, that's where the methane is mm. generated. So uh, I'm sure kangaroos have a uh, have a different uh, different diet, and uh, yeah, would be less emissions. Yeah, well, they don't need as much food and water either, so they just graze off what's out there. But we don't tend to harvest them nearly as as well as we do cattle. No, that's correct. That's an interesting um, aspect. I'd, I'd be interesting to calculate what that impact would be. Plant more kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to get back to some of the other inputs um, that you can put into this calculator. One of the ones that stuck out to me was household waste. Um, So we had a show a few weeks ago talking about plastic recycling, and we all know that single-use plastics are causing growing global concerns because of the negative impact that they have on the environment. But it's just not—it's not just single-use plastics we should be concerned about. It's—it's general household waste and the carbon emissions that are associated with that waste. So um, what are, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the carbon emissions due to household waste? Because people might not think about that. Yeah, the um, obviously we, we need to minimise the organic waste that uh, would go into landfill. So um, recycling means that uh, the recycled uh, component of household waste Essentially, has uh, uh, in terms of our cat uh, zero emissions, but whatever goes into landfill, uh, then we need to need to allow for that to measure that. So, um, and it, it's simply a measure of it, it's pretty crude, but we, the only way is to measure cu- uh, cubic meters of uh, of waste, just an estimate of uh, how many cubic meters of of organic waste will will end up in landfill. Is that so it's uh, it certainly is a factor, and um, obviously councils are doing a great job in uh, in helping people recycle and therefore minimise the emissions from from waste through landfill. So if I do composting at home, 
with organic matter, does that mean that I can exclude that from my overall household waste in this part of the calculation? Yeah, that, that, that would be a very uh, a very good activity because it's it's waste that wouldn't then go into landfill. So it's um, not only good for your garden, of course, but it, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, methane is 25 times more potent in terms of greenhouse gas emission than carbon dioxide. So mm, that's right. Times. So methane's a really uh, big factor. And um, there are companies actually generating, creating carbon credits by removing methane from landfill. That's a, a, an approved uh, method under the government. Hmm. So, so we've only got a couple of minutes left, Ray. Um, you mentioned before about plane flights, but you don't mention cruises or boat trips on your website and um, how you can measure the carbon uh, whenever you take one of those trips. And And I understand that they're actually quite carbon intensive and quite popular as well. Yeah, that, that's something we haven't done and we should do. We've, uh, we've just won a, a, a luxury West grant to... Uh, to produce a, a farm calculator and also um, uh, improve our existing calculator. So that's, that's an item that we need to include because uh, cruises are a... Um, now, now with the uh, more people retire, or a large number of people retiring, obviously cruises are becoming a bigger component of some people's um, daily or life. So, yeah, that's, that's a, that would be an important component. It would be the fuel. I mean, the, the fuel. You'd eat more food. You're still eating. You're still eating food, whether you're home or on a cruise. But the diesel um, usage of a of a cruise would be significant. We've we've done it for shipping. Some of our businesses have asked us to measure the uh, the carbon footprint from their shipping, either exporting or importing. So we've done that. Okay, Ray. So we're out of time now. I'm sorry. Uh, luckily, we've got you back next week. Um, and we're in the fortunate position of having you back. So if listeners would like to ask any questions, you can email us the questions on radioteam at bze.org.au. So that's radioteam at bze.org.au. Thanks so much for your time today, Ray. My pleasure. Thank you. We've been speaking to Ray Wilson from Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund and you can just Google that and find out more information and get on and check out your carbon footprint on that calculator. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.